Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter? We're going to um, move aside from 1 John. We've been preaching through the 1 John for the last uh, several, several weeks. But this Sunday and next Sunday being so special, being Palm Sunday and then, of course, Easter, I wanted us to focus upon the cross for a few moments. And so today... First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 18. So with your Bibles open, I invite you to stand with me as we read this, this verse together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful, precious word. And we pray, dear Father, that your word will speak and do as it does so many, many times. It pierces our hearts. It convicts us of our sins, it comforts us, and it encourages us. And so, Father, I pray that today that you will allow us to get a glimpse of the cross like we have never seen before. May the anointing and the filling of your Holy Spirit be upon us here today. Not only the preaching, but of the hearing of your word. Father, I pray that you might manifest yourself in a powerful, wonderful way in the lives of your people. And to that, we give you glory and give you honor. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On a hill off the coast of South China overlooks a harbor which is called Macao. And there, many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, Portuguese settlers had come in and had built this tremendous cathedral. But over time... Great storms have come and have destroyed almost every single thing of that cathedral with the exception of a huge, gigantic wall. And on top of that wall, a bronze cross. In 1825, there was a man by the name of Sir John Bowery. He was on a ship, and they were passing by that particular harbor. And a tremendous storm had come up, and it had rocked that ship into pieces until finally he found himself in that salty sea, perishing, thinking that he's going to die. And then just about at a split of a second... The clouds began to split open. 
And all of a sudden, there was a sun ray that shined upon that bronze cross that was upon that huge wall. He said by testimony, he said at that very moment, it was as if God spoke to him audibly. says, John, you're not going to die. And then he turned and realized there was another ship in the area. And they came and they rescued him from that salty grave. He was so impressed by what God had done in his life that he sat down and he wrote a poem. Later on, that poem was developed into a song. Listen to what that poem says. In the cross, I glory, towering over the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round his head sublime. When the sun of bliss is beaming, light and love upon my way, from the cross, the radiance streaming, Adds more luster to the day. Think about that. In the cross of Christ, I glory. Praise the Lord. To think and to know that because of the cross, we have everlasting life through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for the cross. And I am thankful that through the cross that we can find that life eternal. I want to share with you several things from this passage of Scripture that I believe that Peter is trying to explain to us and to express to us. First of all, I want you to notice here in verse 18, the substitutionary purpose of the cross. Now, did you notice in that passage of Scripture, it says the just, meaning Jesus, and then he says for the unjust, meaning you and I. I am so thankful that God forgives sin. What would we do if God didn't forgive sin? But how does he go about forgiving sin? He doesn't flippantly say, I forgive. Because he being holy realizes that because of his own standard and character, he has to judge sin. And so therefore, how could he overlook sin? I would not have confidence in a God that would overlook sin. But because that God is a loving God. He he has given us His only begotten Son that we might have everlasting life. Now, if you would go through all the books of theology and you were to find one word that would describe God, what would it be? Many would probably say God is love. But I believe that the best description that is found and could be uh, the best description of God himself would be holy. Would you not agree with that? 
I mean, the prophet Isaiah reminded us of that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy. And because of his holiness, my friend, he has to judge sin. God is righteous. God is holy. And sin must be punished. And so therefore, my friend, we realize that God cannot overlook sin. And therefore, he punishes sin. Let me give you several illustrations of throughout the Bible of how God has reminded us of illustrations of God's substitution of sin. I'm reminded as you go back into the book of Genesis. There, of course, is Abraham and Isaac. One of the greatest pictures of God the Father and God the Son that you could ever find in the Old Testament pages. As you go back, you began to find that really what God was doing was prophesying many years before he was prophesying the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was, of course, that man Abraham. Abraham being the first of the Hebrews. Abraham being the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham. God said, I'm going to give you a son. Now, of course, as you studied the scriptures, you began to realize Abraham was an old man. And you began to realize that Sarah, his wife, she was certainly past the childbearing age of giving birth to children. And so what a miraculous birth that would be. Do you not see the prophecy here? Do you not recognize of how God is illustrating and demonstrating to us today of what is about to come in the future? Abraham gives him a son. And he says, through this son, there's going to come a great nation. And that through this nation, there will be those that will be blessed. And I'm reminded of the promise there in Genesis chapter 12. Where God says, I will bless those that will bless you. And I will curse those that will curse you. And so I am so grateful and I'm thankful that we have found through Abraham a wonderful prophecy of God the Father and God the Son. But yet, we're reminded of the story. We're reminded that God told Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him up on a mountain. That mountain is called Mount Moriah. And he says, I want you to sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. Can you imagine? Your only son. Can you imagine going up into that mountain Can you imagine taking a dagger and placing it in the bosom of that son? Can you imagine? And of course, there is Isaac laying upon the ground. And there, as Abraham is getting ready to slay him, all of a sudden God says, don't touch that lad. And over there in the thicket was a lamb. A lamb. 
Oh, I'm so grateful to know that God always provides a substitute, aren't you? What a substitute. And the Bible says God provides a lamb. And then, of course, I'm reminded, of course, in the Bible of another illustration. Back during the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was, of course, that had been taught down through the years uh, concerning the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, for thousands and thousands of years, they had slayed lambs and for the sacrifices of the sins of the people of that land. I remember that very first Christmas setting when the shepherds were out watching over their sheep. You know what they were doing? They were watching over a special breed of lambs that was one day was going to be taken into Jerusalem. And one day they were going to be sacrificed there upon the altar. Come that special day of crucifixion. It was known as that Passover day. We know it today as, of course, as Palm Sunday. And at Palm Sunday, they were ushering all those lambs into the city of Jerusalem. There, as they were ushering those lambs into the city of Jerusalem, they had one purpose, and that was that those lambs were going to be crucified. They were going to die. The Bible reminds us that the high priest, he would take those lambs one by one, and he would inspect those lambs, and he would inspect them to make sure that they were a perfect lamb. Oh, I'm reminded when John the Baptist, when he was baptizing and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ come and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Now, I want you to see the comparison here. Exactly at three o'clock on the afternoon of that Friday, the high priest He would take that lamb and there he would pull back the chin of that lamb and he would take a sharp razor knife and he would slit the throats of that lamb. And blood would come rushing out. And it was for a sacrifice. It was for a substitute for all the sins of the people. Let me ask you another thing. Let me ask you a question. What day did Jesus enter into Jerusalem? It was on Palm Sunday. And just as those other lambs had come in that day, the lamb has come. The lamb has come. And of course, they took him and placed him under tremendous inspection, did they not? As there upon that trial, they began to literally take him and shred him from all kinds of things at that moment. The Bible reminds us, as as Pilate says, I find no fault of this man. 
He is a perfect man. And yet you're wanting me to crucify him. And then, of course, I'm reminded of what Jesus said. Which of you can say there is sin upon me? A perfect lamb. But at three o'clock in the afternoon, there they take the Lord Jesus Christ. And they place him upon an altar called a cross. And there they hung him there upon that cross. And there they nailed him to that cross. Oh, what a substitute. What a substitute for the sins of mankind. But then I'm reminded of another person there that day that received a substitute. You remember one of those thieves, murderers, wicked men by the name of Barabbas? Think about him for a moment. A terrible criminal, a thief, a murderer, a rebel, a wicked man. Pilate had a plan. And his plan was that he was wanting to let Jesus go. And he, so he thought that he would put Barabbas up and that they would choose him over Jesus because of him being such a wicked man. And then he would be setting fine with the Roman Empire. But of course, they said, crucify Jesus and let Barabbas go. Can you imagine? Let Jesus be crucified. Crucify him. He loses election to a common criminal. Can you imagine if you had been Barabbas that day? And when those three crosses were standing up on that mountain... And to think for a moment that that cross, that middle cross, was built for me. And yet, Jesus took his place. What a substitute. What a tremendous substitute of taking the place of Barabbas. My friend, I want you to understand... Barabbas could say, Christ died for me. (laughs) Aren't you glad you can say, Christ died for me? Christ died for me. Just as Barabbas would have been placed upon that cross had it not been for Jesus being there, my friend, you and I would have been on that cross. But I want you to see something else. As you look at this, not only the substitutionary passion of the cross, but look with me also, it says, the, uh, it speaks about the suffering passion of the cross in verse 18. It says, once suffered. Once suffered. I feel so inadequate. To try to describe the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think throat can sing. Tongue can tell 
our heart can understand of all the suffering that our Lord Jesus Christ experienced there upon the cross. I believe there was at least three different types of sufferings. I believe there was an emotional suffering. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and following, speaks about that emotional suffering. Listen to what it says. And as, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, listen to this, take this cup away from me, Take this cup. What in the world is he talking about? I believe he's talking about the cup. The cup of every single sin of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Of seven billion people upon the face of the earth even today as well as all the people in the past. That they're in that cup. All that sin. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Yours. I'm so grateful that he was, he was willing to die for me. I'm so grateful that he was willing to take the cup of emotional suffering. Can you imagine that m- metaphor? That cup is a metaphor of suffering. And my friend, he is willing to take that cup for you and for me. Jesus knew that he was going, his soul was going to be baptized in hell for the penalty of sin. Oh, friend, think about it. The emotional suffering. But not only the emotional suffering, but what about the physical suffering? Many times we, we look back, at, especially this time of the year, and we begin to be reminded of the physical sufferings. Pilate hoping to get Jesus off of his hands. He thought, that if the people could see how brutalized Jesus would be, that they would release him and would want him to go. And so, of course, what Pilate did, he took two people and they scourged him with a cat of nine tails. What they would do, they would take his body and they would stretch his body to the point of where it would be skin tight, one on one side, and then another Roman soldier on the other side, almost like an artist, to be able to peel the skin away back from his back, leaving those nerves so in such a manner that uh, the pain is beyond understanding. And then, of course, as they finished scourging him, they placed an old rugged cross, 
put it upon his back. And after beating him, they led him up to a mountain. That's a very familiar mountain. You remember Abraham? It's the same mountain that Abraham took Isaac to. Mount Moriah. And there Jesus Christ, there on Mount Moriah, was placed upon a cross. The nails was drove in at 90 degree angle. And so that when he would be placed upon that cross, hanging there upon that cross, all that pain and leverage would be upon his hands and upon his feet. Oh, it's beyond understanding, beyond comprehending, beyond what we could ever begin to try to describe. Friend, I want to remind you, that's the penalty of sin. That's the cost of sin that Jesus was willing to take that physical suffering. And then, of course, not only the emotional suffering, the physical suffering, but the spiritual suffering. When Jesus had my sin and your sin upon him on the cross, Jesus was treated upon that cross as if you and I would have been on that cross. And he cried out. You remember as one of the seven sayings, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My friend, we think about one of the terrible, terrible faults of dying without God. My friend, you're here today and you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you were to die. You could not say what the psalmist said. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. Because God won't be with you. Only with those that have accepted His Son, trusted His Son, as their substitute and their Savior and their Lord. Jesus walked that narrow valley. Can you imagine having the fellowship that he's had with the Father all eternity? And now all of a sudden, as Jesus becomes sin, the Father turns his back upon his own Son. Who can understand the spiritual suffering as he cried out, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who can understand that? And yet, my friend, he did all that for you and for me. Number one, because he's holy. And it requires righteousness and judgment. Number two, because he loves you and was willing to give his only begotten son 
for you. Oh, what a price. What a price. But there's a third thing I want you to see. The Bible says in verse 18 that he was once suffered. In other words, this was a satisfying provision of the cross. It's over. It is finished. My friend, Christ don't have to go back to the cross again. I hear people say, I can receive salvation today and lose my salvation tomorrow. My friend, if you lost your salvation, that meant Christ was going to have to go back to the cross. But he's not going back, he's not going back to the cross because the Bible says, once suffered. He once suffered. It means once and for all. If it doesn't last, my friend, then Jesus would have to be crucified again. But not he will never have to do that ever again. But then fourthly, in closing, look what the Bible says in verse 18, that he might bring us to God, the saving power of the cross. The saving power of the cross. The reason for the cross, my friend, is for you. The reason for the cross is an expression of love. The reason of the cross is the expression of righteousness. The reason of the cross is God opening up his arms and saying to the whole world that I love you. That's why John 3.16 is so special to us today. For God so loved me, for God so loved you, that why? What did he do? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, my friend, the saving power of the cross. That's why we have the cross in the center at the altar. That my friend... When you come before God, you have to come through the cross. You come before God, you have to come by the way of the cross. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come unto the Father except by me. I want to ask you a question. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you experienced the reality of what the cross means? Have you experience of what God is saying to you through the cross? If not, I pray that today that you would do that very thing. Would you bow with me in prayer? Every head bowed and every eye shut. So many times... We just kind of take for granted the love of God. So many times we kind of take for granted and we sort of look like, look at God as some big old grandfather up in heaven wanting us to just jump in his lap and to love him and to just have a good time. Well, my friend, God does love you. And God does want to have a relationship with you. 
But it doesn't come but by the means of a terrible price that was paid. And it was paid at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Christ in your life, I pray that today that you would do that very thing. Invite him, trust him, and to allow him to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you've done that, but you've never been baptized. Oh, what a precious, precious picture. To be baptized in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Easter is about. That's what baptism is all about. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that. Maybe God's led you to be a part of the fellowship of this church. I encourage you to listen and to obey God's will for your life. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? We're going to stand. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And as we sing, I invite you to come. Dear dying man, thy breath.
We're grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the way that through the cross it speaks to our heart. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you for him. Thank you for being our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus we pray.